0: Says, In those days, the multitude being very great and having nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the multitude, because they've now continued with me three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their own houses, they will faint on the way, for some of them have come from afar. Then his disciples answered him, how can one satisfy these people with bread here in the wilderness? He asked them, how many loaves do you have? And they said, seven. So he commanded the multitude to sit down on the ground, and he took the seven loaves, gave thanks, broke them, and gave them to his disciples to set before them. And they set them before the multitude. They also had a few small fish, and having blessed them, He set them before them also. So they ate and were filled, and they took up seven large baskets of leftover fragments. Now those who had eaten were about 4,000, and he sent them away and immediately got into the boat with his disciples, and they came to the region of Dalmanutha. And Father, we ask for the grace and help of your spirit now as we continue to worship by just availing our heart and our mind to the truth of your spirit-inspired word. So, Lord, please prepare each one of us accordingly that we might be able to receive everything your spirit is seeking to say to us through what he has already spoken here in the written word of God. Bless our time now, Lord, as we carry onward, and we ask this together expectantly in Jesus' name, and everyone said amen. Amen. You may be seated. You know, one thing that will always hold true about the Lord Jesus Christ is that he is always able to satisfy the need. Whatever that need may be, Jesus, because he is Lord with all power, is able to meet that need. He's able to satisfy the need. The word satisfied by way of definition, if you look it up, means to fulfill the need or desire to meet an expectation by adequate supply. And Jesus is always able to satisfy the need by his abundant power and by his great grace. And in our text this morning, we see Jesus satisfying need in various different ways. We see him supplying spiritual fulfillment for a hungry group of seekers who are with him out in the wilderness for this three day span. We see Jesus supplying the need by providing provision that was necessary to sustain and to feed the people. We see Jesus satisfy the need by giving direction how to operate to the disciples in this particular situation that they're handling. And we see Jesus meeting the need as well by even providing the power to accomplish miraculously exactly what needs to be addressed in a situation that was humanly impossible. There was no way humanly they could accomplish what they did, but Jesus meets the need by providing miraculous power in human impossibility. Now, remember the backdrop as we come into chapter eight. We know in the prior section, Jesus is now ministering in the region called Decapolis, which just is a term that means 10 cities. They're on the eastern side, of the Sea of Galilee, which means this is predominantly Gentile territory. And by that we mean non-Jewish territory. He's among the Gentile peoples. He's not among the chosen people of the nation of Israel. There could have been some Jews among this crowd, we're not diminishing that, but the greater majority of this large multitude would be Gentiles, yet the popularity of Jesus in this region is still incredibly high because of all the ministry works that Jesus has been doing in the region at large. Many lives have been changed. In fact, Matthew's account of this same section, Matthew 15, tells us there, the crowd was amazed because those who hadn't been able to speak were talking, the crippled were made well, the lame were walking, and the blind could see again, and they praised the God of Israel. In other words, notice the distinction there is these wonderful works, these healings, these lives being changed, but it says the people praised the God of Israel, indicating predominantly there were Gentiles in that multitude praising the God of Israel for what Jesus had been doing. Now, if you look at me in verse 1, as our section opens, it tells us that it was in those days that the multitude, being very great, having nothing to eat, Jesus calls his disciples to himself, speaking to them, and he says, verse 2, I have compassion on the multitude because they've now, he said, continued with me three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their own houses, they will faint on the way, for some of them have come from afar. So notice here, Jesus caring greatly about the people, assesses the situation, identifies a need. He then is moved with compassion to want to help them. And then as the section carries on, we see he begins to even start working to fulfill the need and to satisfy what needs to be addressed. Notice with me, would first, just kind of the situation at hand here. We're told here that a great multitude is gathered. We saw in verse 9 as we read that multitude is about 4,000 people men, it tells us. Now, what's interesting here, it tells us, verse nine, that the multitude there was about 4,000. Matthew fills in the additional detail. In Matthew's record, it says it was about 4,000 men, specifically, not counting the idea is women and children. So the crowd is much larger than 4,000, not that that's a small crowd, but the multitude is 4,000 men, Matthew tells us, plus women and children, consisting of full families. And we're also told in our section here that they are out in the wilderness. In other words, they're far away from their homes. Jesus alludes to that there in verses two and three, which would be very inconvenient to consume a considerable amount of time. Jesus said, if I send them home without feeding them, they'll probably faint on the way. They haven't you know, had food. It's already been three days. And he says, many of them have come from afar. So, they've traveled a large amount of distance. They're not near the marketplaces. They're out in a remote area, which would have been, again, very difficult and inconvenient. And Jesus indicates his concern here in verses two and three is that they had continued with him, notice, not for three hours. It's not like Jesus said, boy, the worship meeting was so wonderful out here. It went three hours They've got to be hungry for lunch. They might not even make it to (laughs) Carluccio's. They might faint in the parking lot. Jesus tells us here that they've been with him. Please take notice, it says, verse 2, that they had continued with him for three days. For three straight days, they had been with him out in this remote area with nothing to eat. Now, the question should come to mind. It came to mind anyway by way of observation What would compel not just adult men, but men with their wives, with their children, full families, if you would, to do something so inconvenient circumstantially, to sacrifice food, to give up even personal need, legitimate need, to spend that much time out in the wilderness there, particularly, and I want to bring this to your attention, in a time period, we have to take into consideration when everyday survival required much more effort and much more time than it does in today's day and age. We live in a modern generation with so many modern conveniences that it makes it much easier to get through with day-to-day survival. We can do things much more quickly. We can travel more quickly. We can pick up fast food. We I mean, just things can be done much more quickly. You have to understand, we're talking about a time period historically without modern conveniences. It required a lot more work just to do day-to-day experiences, just to be able to acquire things, to travel, to walk, to go on horseback, if you would, to to be able to journey much longer, to, you know, procure food, to then prepare food, to actually, you know, cook food, so things took much more effort to survive, and yet here we see them for three days sacrificing considerable time, giving up food, setting aside other things of ordinary family life, which would be much more difficult for them than it even would be for us. They're not even able for three days straight to sleep in their own beds. There are families out in this remote area in the wilderness, they're camping out to some degree. You wanna talk about flexible just for following the Lord? It's pretty impressive, really, what we see going on. Clearly, the reason is that these people had a very strong desire to spend time with the Lord. There was a strong desire within them to experience the presence of the Lord, to see and to experience what the Lord was doing to be able to hear the word of God. There was this longing. They wanted to hear whatever the Lord was going to speak. They didn't want to miss what he might share, things he might communicate about the kingdom of God. They wanted to encounter the power and the ministry of the Lord. And they had a definite spiritual hunger to have been out there in that wilderness for three days with him like that. And their appetite spiritually, we might say, obviously ruled over their temporal desires, or their temporal conveniences, or their temporal comforts, things of this world, their spiritual zeal took precedent over other interests, over other everyday, ordinary activities. And what a great example that multitude really is to us. To see them out there doing this. And again, it's not just the men away on a men's retreat. These are whole families out there. Husbands, wives, children, You know, young children out there three days making sacrifices, inconvenient, giving up ordinary affairs, and consider if you would too, it's not as if Jesus advertised that if they came that for three days straight, he would provide them food for three days. He didn't say, hey, travel with me out to the wilderness, I'll make sure you get your three square meals a day. There was no advertisement, there'll be a food line. There was no indication that he was going to give away personal items or do anything of providing material blessing for them, right? The very fact that Jesus does this miracle was a surprise to everyone. Nobody knew that he was going to do this. The disciples were even surprised when he brought it up, and we're going to talk more about that later. But the thing I want you to recognize, it was a surprise blessing that he fed people and that he took care of some of their physical need in his kindness and his love and his compassion as well. They were not out there for the stuff. You catch my drift? They didn't go there to get something. They were there for the Lord. They were there for the presence of the Lord, the word of God, the ministry of the spirit. It was spiritual hunger that had them out there. It wasn't out there to get something and they would endure through the spiritual thing to get the physical need met. This is a beautiful example here. They are out there for the presence of the Lord, whole families willing to forego everyday life routines and ordinary activities, even family you know, r- routines for the presence of the Lord. And I have to look at that and ask myself, to what degree are we willing to make personal sacrifices to seek the Lord as an individual, as families? To what degree are we willing to Do what's inconvenient, to give up certain things, to be flexible in family life in order to seek the Lord, in order to hear the word of the Lord, to be with the Lord, to seek the presence of the Lord in his ministry. For the first three days, there was nothing of any material help, no food line. It was just spiritual hunger driving the people. And I think they present a wonderful, convicting example, people coming and staying long, due to their hunger for God and his presence. And the Lord, through his presence, and what he was speaking and the way he was ministering, was satisfying the biggest need, spiritual need. You know, we may read the story and we get kind of, you know, distracted and it gets eclipsed by Jesus doing the miracle, feeding the 5,000 and all the food and satisfying the hungry bellies, but we're missing the front end, which is, for three days, he was satisfying spiritual need. He was fulfilling people's longing for the things of God and the word of God and the presence of God. And Jesus was satisfying that need. It reminds me of Jesus's own words in John chapter six, verse 35, where there Jesus said, I am the bread of life and he who comes to me shall never hunger and he who believes in me shall never thirst. Again, he's talking about a spiritual hunger. A spiritual need. And Jesus says, I am that spiritual bread that nourishes the spiritual life, that satisfies the appetite for that which is spiritual in the soul of a person. Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, Jesus there said this, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. And the term literally is they shall be satisfied. They shall be fulfilled. That when there is a hunger for the things of God, for experiencing God, for that which is righteous by pursuing God, he says that hunger is a blessing because those people will find themselves satisfied, fulfilled. But we only have to wonder to some degree, if we were to all search our hearts honestly, if sometimes the reason for our lack of fulfillment in our lives, even as Christians, is because we're snacking on everything else. And we're wondering why we're not satisfied. Why am I so unfulfilled? Well, the Bible says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, seeking the Lord. He, they're the ones that will be fulfilled. Jesus fulfills Only Jesus can meet spiritual need, and it's so important that we do recognize, even as we do have legitimate physical needs, we have a thirst drive, we have a hunger drive, those are legitimate needs, and we understand that you can't satisfy a need with a wrong substitute. For example, if my stomach is hungry and I need food, there's a legitimate need for physical food, for nourishment, that can't be addressed by a brother in the Lord giving me a hug and saying, here, bro, I love you, and just let me give you a little emotion. I mean, that's emotional. The emotion, okay, that's great, but I'm hungry. Same way, if somebody is longing emotionally for affection and love, if you just give them a sandwich alone, that's not gonna meet the emotional need. You see what I'm saying? And sometimes we, we tend to do that. We have an emotional need. You can't fix an emotional need maybe with just a physical handout and you can't fix a physical need, maybe with just an emotional display of love or a word of encouragement, the, the supply needs to meet the specific need. And the same holds true spiritually. The word of God is very clear. There is a spiritual hunger, a spiritual need in the soul of every person, and that spiritual need cannot be fulfilled with substitutes. It can't be fulfilled with relationships, or possessions, or material things, or achievements, or acquirements, and and we try, do we not? Especially before we come to Christ. We're trying to fulfill the spiritual need with all these things in the world until we come to realize what we need is we need Jesus. That's the only thing that meets the spiritual need that's, that's real in every one of our lives. But as Christians, we can start to make that mistake as well sometimes. We start using substitutes and snacking on this and trying to fulfill ourselves with that. Psalm 63 speaks of seeking and worshiping the Lord, and then it declares this, and my soul shall be satisfied in you. Lord, that's how my soul will be satisfied, in you. After three days out here, Jesus is satisfying their spiritual need And then we see, as the text does reveal to us, that Jesus lovingly, with a compassionate shepherd heart, starts to care and to display his concern for tending to their other needs, their physical needs as well. He did care about the needs of the people, and he wants to attend to them, he wants to serve them well. He's a good shepherd. And here they had come from afar. Jesus says they're far away from their hometowns. And he says there in verses two and three, if we send them away with nothing to eat, they've been here three days. He says, if I send them away still hungry in their weakness, their anemic condition, perhaps he's thinking, some who've come from afar, he says, they may faint on the way. And so out of compassion, Jesus wants to meet the physical need in their own lives as well. He indicates that concern there in verses two and three. Now, as we look at Jesus saying here, I have compassion on them. They've been with me three days. Uh, they have nothing to eat. I don't want to send them away hungry. Uh, notice, first of all, if you would also too here, as Jesus is addressing the situation, that he kind of assesses the need. Jesus assesses the need. He recognizes, okay, they've been here with me three days. They've traveled a far distance. They have nothing to eat. There's not a good opportunity for them to be able to purchase and accrue food where they're at. So he assesses their situation and he is aware of a legitimate need because he's a good shepherd. And let me say in connection to that, Jesus saw their circumstances, he assessed their need and the challenges that existed. And Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he assesses and he is fully aware of the need in your life this morning. It's not as if Jesus is not aware of the need. He's fully aware of that need, whatever it is in your life this morning. He assesses, he's aware, he knows the need that you're facing in your particular situation. And not only that, what does verse two tell us? That Jesus said, I have compassion on this multitude. I'm aware of their need and being aware of their need has prompted my heart to be stirred with compassion to do what? To help with the need, to address the need, to act. Jesus is moved with compassion. Many times in the scripture, numerous times, we've even already seen it in Mark's gospel, it'll tell us in the language that Jesus was moved with compassion. And the Holy Spirit will describe Jesus being moved with compassion. But what I want you to notice here in verse 2 is on this occasion, Jesus says it of himself in a autobiographical statement, he says himself, I have compassion. Other times it says he was moved with compassion. Here we see that Jesus wants, it's almost as if he wants everyone to know his heart. I have compassion for the people, for their situation. And he was not just aware of their situation. Whenever Jesus was moved with compassion, and here he says, I've got compassion. I feel pity for this difficulty. My heart is burdened with this hardship that I see them facing. And whenever Jesus was moved with compassion and has compassion, it always prompted Jesus to act. Whenever Jesus displayed compassion, he would always act and assist and address the need. And can I say again, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And not only is Jesus aware of your need, Jesus has tremendous compassion toward you with your need. And he is prompted to want to assist you with that need to act in your situation, you can be assured that he wants to act and that he will help you because his heart is stirred with compassion for you and your need and your specific situation. And especially as Jesus is gonna help them in this situation, Jesus always honors meeting needs and satisfying needs when we have put seeking Jesus first. And that's exactly, is it not, what these people have been doing. For three days, what have they been doing? seeking the Lord. For three days, they have been first and foremost, top priority, seeking the Lord and seeking him and his kingdom first. And now Jesus will supply what they need physically because they've been seeking him first spiritually. One of my life verses, I know I've said it many times before, Matthew thirty-three. I have one in the Old Testament, one in the New Testament. My New Testament one has always been Matthew six thirty-three, where Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be added unto you or given unto you. And he says that in context of physical material needs of circumstantial life on this earth. Jesus says, this is the priority. Seek first the kingdom of God. Always put the kingdom first, always put doing what is right and righteous first. And as that priority is exercised, then the promise is all the other things that he knows that we need anyway. All the legitimate needs of earthly circumstances. Jesus says, if you seek first my kingdom, my righteousness, all those other things, I'll just add them into your life. The idea is you don't even have to go chase them. You don't even have to go get them. How do you think I got such an awesome wife? You don't think I, you don't think I caught that fishing, do you? Are you kidding me? Have you looked at the discrepancy between her and I? I mean, was, this was a free gift. You just seek the kingdom, seek his righteousness, and the Lord says, okay, there you go. I'll add you a wife. I'll give you a wife. You, oh, I just, that. Way. And, and, and Jesus says that even in regards to worry and fear and people chasing this and chasing, and how are we going to, and money and this, and, and all the worries and the things we chase around, and we chase all these things. And Jesus says, you can chase all that, And you still won't make out as good if you would make my kingdom your top priority first and watch how I will then add into your life and give to you everything that you need materially, physically, and circumstantially. I've watched the Lord do this for 30 plus years and he does it so wonderfully. He keeps his promises. They're out there seeking Jesus for three days and Jesus is fully aware of what they're doing and does he not? He sees they're hungry. They don't have food. They have a physical need. They don't even say, Jesus, are you going to feed us? He says, we need to take care of the people. They're out here seeking us or seeking the Lord, and and Jesus meets their need physically so beautifully. And notice that Jesus, as he initiates the process, the way that he does it is he brings it to the awareness of his servants. Do you notice that's what's going on here in verse 1 through 3? It tells us that Jesus, seeing the multitude having nothing to eat, Verse 1 says, he called his disciples to him. So he brings over his ministry team. he, He calls in the disciples, and then he makes them aware of the need that he had assessed and the thing that he wants to address and help with. He makes his servants aware of the need. Why? Because he wants to include them in the process. He wants to involve them in helping to meet the need. The Lord is always the initiator in ministry, And oftentimes, when he wants to minister, he will indicate things to his servants. He will make it aware to those who are around him, identifying the situation, and that he has compassion, and that he has concern, and that he wants to do something. And we see this numerous times throughout Old and New Testament, when God wants to do something, often he'll bring it to the attention of his servants because he wants to incorporate them in the process. And here we see Jesus doing that very thing. He wants to involve the disciples in the process of serving people, and so he calls them over, and he brings the need to their attention because he's about to include them in the process. And let me just say an application to that. Pay attention when the Lord shows you things. When the Lord brings a need to your attention, sometimes it's just to pray, but other times it's because he wants you to act. And that's why he let you see the need. That's why he let you see the situation. That's why he let you become aware of some area where someone needs help or something needs to be done. Pay attention when the Lord calls you over and he says, do you see that? You see the situation here? You see that need there? Because many times the Lord is wanting to include us in the process. That's how Nehemiah ended up rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. He asked a question, hey, how are things going back there in Jerusalem Worst question the poor guy ever asked. It's going horrible. The walls are broken down. The gates are burned with fire. It's been so long. The people can't rally together. And all of a sudden, Nehemiah figures out his calling because he has compassion because and God let him know the need. And the reason God let him know the need is because God wanted to use Nehemiah to address that particular work. So Jesus makes the concern and need known. Verse four tells us that the disciples, once he says this, then answer him. How can one satisfy these people with bread in the wilderness? Now, if you were with us just two chapters ago, you can likely answer that question for them. Or, and we're not perfect on the chronology, but if the disciples would just pause and reflect, only probably within the past few months, maybe two months, we think, they should have been able... To adequately know the answer to that without even really needing to ask that question, how? How can that get addressed? How can one feed these people with bread out here in this remote wilderness? Again, remember Mark chapter six, just two chapters ago, verse 35 to 44. Jesus did an amazing miracle there with 5,000 men plus women and children. They'd only been with the Lord one day on that occasion, different account. And he does this amazing miracle where Jesus tells them when they ask the same question, why don't you see what you have? They search around. They find one little boy's lunch pail with five little barley loaves, little small buns and, and a few fish. They bring it to Jesus and he takes it. He blesses it. He multiplies it and he begins distributing it to the disciples and they keep going out and giving it and coming back and he gives them more and and he's doing a miracle of multiplication of all the resources and he feeds thousands of people in a very, very similar way to what's going on. And now Jesus expresses his same desire with this group of Gentile people out in a wilderness situation. They've been there for three days and notice he expresses his desire now and it's actually even a smaller crowd. Last time it was 5,000 men plus women and children. This time it's even a smaller crowd. But nonetheless, what did the disciples say? Lord, how can that get taken care of? How could we possibly satisfy this particular need? Now, we would expect, would we not, just rationally, we would expect the disciples would have the exact opposite response. We would expect to read in these verses here that the disciples, when Jesus said, these people have been here with me for a long time. They're hungry. We need to do something to help them. We would have expected the disciples to do something like this. Oh, we've been on this ride before. Oh, oh, we, oh I, I, remember this? Remember what he does in these situations? You almost would expect them to start calling people. Hey, you want to get a close seat to this? Come on in, everybody. You're gonna, this is going to blow your mind. Watch, he just takes it, and he goes like this, and he gives it to us, and it fills back up again. And you would expect they would have been telling the people, encouraging them, don't worry, the Lord's going to do something amazing here, just watch. Yet it's the opposite due to unbelief. They say, how can we satisfy the people out here? We don't have resources. This is a remote area. The need is too great. Boy, I'll tell you, I don't know about you, how encouraged and normal the disciples make me feel sometimes it's like spiritual amnesia here all of a sudden just two months ago they saw the lord do a great thing but is it not true how amazing it is how quickly we forget the kindness of our lord the power of our lord the ways that he works the faithfulness of our lord to act and solve problems how jesus can miraculously multiply limited provisions how Jesus can work and do things that are amazing and that blow our minds, and we experience the Lord work, right? And we see his power in some way, and we're blown away by what the Lord does, and and we see the Lord supply, or we see the Lord do something that's just absolutely miraculous. Then a new situation arises. And a new situation arises, the next opportunity presents itself in our life, And maybe we even sometimes sense the Lord indicating that he's going to work, but in a spirit of unbelief and like spiritual amnesia, we go, but in these difficult circumstances, how's this going to work out? I I, I don't know how we're going to address this. I don't know how this is going to get taken care of. How, How can someone possibly resolve this situation and take care of what's needed here in this circumstance. And it's almost as if, I don't know, and and, and I say this sheerly by speculation and I'll move on, is some of it even, and I'm going from my own humanity here, not that we don't know the Lord can do it, but maybe sometimes because we look at these specific circumstances that are a little bit different from situation to situation, and we just wonder, I don't know if we'll do it in this situation. I mean, yeah, yeah, I know what he did there, and he did that then, but I was in a—but and and, but then we have a little bit different, few different details in the circumstances, and we wonder, would he want to do it again? Does he want to work in this situation? And I don't know if that's perhaps part of what the struggle was, but clearly they were doubting, and therefore Jesus said to them, verse 5— How many loaves do you have? Now, they're probably going, this sounds familiar. (laughs) They said seven. And he commanded the multitude to sit down on the ground. Well, this is sounding really familiar now. All of a sudden, they're they're having an awakening, that eureka moment here. He took the seven loaves, gave thanks, broke them, and then gave them to his disciples to go set before the people. And they set them before the multitude, verse 7, and they had also a few small fish, and having blessed them, he set them before them also. So, very similar to the prior miracle back in chapter six of feeding the multitude there in a remote place, Jesus here again displays, as I said earlier, how he satisfies need. And here we see Jesus satisfying need by providing direction of what to do and how to specifically operate. Here we see Jesus satisfying need by again supplying power to do what's humanly impossible in a situation they can't fix with their own human effort. Here we see Jesus abundantly providing above and beyond for a need in their lives. First, take note with me if you would hear how Jesus is satisfying the need of really just providing direction to his servants how to operate. Clearly, Jesus is directing the whole process, as I said earlier. He's assessed the situation, but now notice he asks them to assess the situation themselves. He says to them in verse five, how many loaves do you have? In other words, he says to them, assess your own resources here. I want you to do that. It's part of the process, Jesus says. I'm going to direct you through this. I'm going to guide you. But he says, I want you to pause and I want you to assess your own human resources. What do you have here? And oftentimes the Lord will have us do that because he's letting us see in humility how limited our resources are how completely incapable we are to address a situation or fix a problem on our own. But also, the Lord will at times assess our resources because the Lord also, on the other side of that, wants us to participate to some degree. Does he do the heavy lifting? Amen, absolutely. We all know that, right? He does all the heavy lifting, but he does work in cooperation with human compliance. So Jesus doesn't just say, I don't really need the seven loaves and the fish. Trust me, I could do this without them. I spoke creation into existence. He could have took that approach, but he says, what do you have to participate? What do you have to contribute? Because he wants to include them in the process. And sometimes the Lord asks us to assess, not just in humility so we realize how limited our resources and contribution are, but sometimes the Lord asks us to assess because he's wanting us to recognize, listen, I do want you to contribute your part. I want you to be involved in some way. Yes, I do the bulk of it, but I do want you to participate. What do you have that you can contribute? Again, God said to Moses, Moses, what's in your hand? It was a shepherd's staff. But again, God said what's in your hand? Sometimes God will say to us, what's in your hand? What do you have? What do you have to contribute, to offer, to participate? He includes us. And Jesus also has them do things. Notice as well, as we take observation of this, Jesus also had them just like the prior miracle. He had them do things in a very orderly way. And so as Jesus is satisfying the need by providing direction, notice he gives them direction. It says there that he tells the disciples. Verse 6, he commands them to have them to sit down on the ground, orderly, into groups. And then Jesus starts to produce the miracle, and then he gives the resources to his disciples, and then they were to take them and go set them before the people. And again, of course, the process just repeated itself back and forth until thousands of people were cared for. They were like waiters going back, picking up the food bringing it out to the groups of people, going back, picking up the food. But I want you to take notice that Jesus does all this in a very orderly way. Our Lord works powerfully, but he always works within the boundaries of order. Again, the very portion of the Word of God, chapters 12, 13, 14, in regards to the ministry of the Holy Spirit and the, the gifts of the Spirit and the manifestation of the Spirit, right within that, we're told that God is not a God of, of disorder. He's not a God of confusion. He does all things decently and in order. And God can move incredibly powerfully, but yet He always still remains orderly. And here this ministry is being done with good stewardship, and it's efficient and orderly, and there's an organization that Jesus is working with. Let's have the people sit down. Let's get in some groups. And he very kind of methodically works through this as he's working, doing ministry, and he guides them to operate in a very practical manner that's reasonable, that's wise, uses wisdom, uses logistics, it's very efficient, good stewardship, and they just follow the steps as he's providing direction. And look, when our lives find ourselves in similar situations where we need direction, guidance, the Lord will provide direction in our life as well. One of the needs that Jesus satisfies in our life at times is just like this, is that he provides direction that we need for how to operate. Maybe it's in regards to doing ministry. Ask the Lord. Don't just wing it. Ask the Lord. Lord, how, how do you want me to do this? Give me direction. Give me clarity. How can I be orderly? How can I be efficient and do my best? Maybe it's just working out a problem in your life and you just don't know how to address the problem, he'll provide direction. Go to him. He may say, what, what, do you, what, what can you do here? And he may give us the simple things that we can do. And he, Okay, well, you do this and this, and I'll do this, 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 and, and, he, and I'll do the heavy lifting. But I do want you to do this, and I, I do want you to handle that. And, and the Lord will give us direction, showing us in our life situations as well. And of course, Jesus meets the need also by supplying all the power to do what's humanly impossible here. This is not a work of their hands. It's not a work of the flesh. They take what they have, their limited resources. And what do they do with their limited resources? They put them into the Lord's hands. And when they put what they have, what little they have, in the Lord's hands, when they surrender things to the Lord, it tells us he takes what they offer to him, seven loaves, a few fish, he blesses, multiplies, and now they have all that they need, even above and beyond and they give to him what they have, and they trust him to do the work by his power. And it's the same with our lives. We need to, in similar situations, realize that we can't orchestrate something by our own human efforts or ingenuity or or by our power or efforts, but realize that what we have we can put into the hands of the Lord and then trust him to work by his power. He can take what we put in his hands and bless it and multiply it tremendously. The disciples in the story, as I said in the prior miracle two chapters ago, they are just distributors. Jesus is the manufacturer. They're just the distributors. They're just table waiters. Jesus is doing all the power, producing everything. They're just taking it from the Lord and distributing it, taking from the Lord and distributing it. And when situations where our need is humanly impossible to fix the situation, folks, to handle the problem, we have to remember the Lord has miraculous power to do things that so far supersedes our human resources or abilities. We just got to put what we have into the hand of the Lord and trust his power. And God's word, is it not, is filled with accounts of the Lord doing things by his mighty power. I love the beautiful two-sided coin that we find in the New Testament. Jesus says, with God, all things are possible. And then in Luke chapter 1, it tells us that with God, nothing will be impossible. That's a great coin to have in your pocket. With God, all things are possible. With God, nothing will be impossible. What a wonderful thing. But what's the key? With God. If your life is with God, if God is with you and you are with God, his power is going to make nothing to be impossible. It may look impossible, on your own it is, but with God, nothing will be impossible. Lord, I don't know. With God, all things are possible because it's God's power. Again, the Bible tells us there's nothing too hard. The Lord Ephesians three three twenty says now to him who's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we ask or think according to the power that works in us so we see Jesus here do this amazing miracle he replicates it in little different circumstances once again verse eight tells us notice so they all ate and were filled and they took up seven large baskets of leftover fragments and those who had eaten verse nine says were about thousands. So notice how Jesus also satisfies this physical need, as I said, not just sufficiently, but could we say there he's satisfying the need abundantly, above and beyond. Do you notice the Holy Spirit describes? It's easy just to read this in a desensitized way, like we do sometimes with Scripture, and not really think about what the Lord's doing here to just read it and kind of gloss over it. He took, folks, he took seven loaves, small little buns, if you would, like dinner rolls of bread, a few tiny little sardine-sized fish, and he, by his miraculous power, just fed thousands of hungry people. Thousands of hungry people. And it says in our text here, what does it say? Verse 8, they ate and they were filled. The language is glutted, stuffed, like how you feel after you gorge yourself at Thanksgiving or a big meal. They were abundantly fulfilled and satisfied. Jesus didn't meet the need partially. He met the need completely. In fact, this is interesting. It says they took up seven large baskets. Seven in the Bible is the number of completion. Seven notes in a scale, seven days in a week. Seven's the number of completion. The idea is he met the need completely, completely, and not just completely, but even to excess above and beyond, because not only did he feed all the people, but it says they took up, what does it say, verse eight, seven large baskets of leftover fragments. He fed the multitude, and then they had leftovers, and not only that, it says seven large baskets of leftovers. Now, here's what's interesting. That term there, baskets, is actually a different Greek term that was used back in chapter 6 when there were, remember it says, 12 baskets left over the first time he fed the multitude. In that situation, the term baskets in the Greek referred to like the small picnic-like basket that you take a picnic lunch in. And there were 12 baskets, interesting, one for each one of his workers, because when you serve the Lord, he provides well for his workers. And each of the 12 disciples had their own little Lunch basket afterwards to eat. Here it's a different Greek term, and notice the the language even translated seven large baskets. It's the same term that's used in Acts chapter nine, verse twenty-four and twenty-five. I'll read it to you. It says, There the plot became known to Saul, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. So the disciples took Saul by night and led him down through the city wall in a large basket. This is the the large, we might, like a hamper size basket, big enough for an apostle to be lowered down over a city wall in, big enough for a person. So this is a tremendous amount of abundance and provision. He didn't just provide sufficiently to meet the needs of thousands. He provided excessively, above and beyond, if you would, with these large baskets. Now, let me just say by way of encouragement this morning, If Jesus can, and Jesus did do that by excessively needing a massive need, then let me encourage you this morning to say, is your personal need too much for the Lord to fulfill? Of course it's not. Your need is not too great for the Lord to address. Jesus can handle filling the need however large your purchase order is. And sometimes it may seem like a, this is a big purchase order, Lord, this one. I don't know if this will get approved. But his power is limitless. His compassion is always there for us. And one way or another, however he chooses to meet the need, he will meet the need sufficiently. By his grace, through his presence, through his power, God is a wonderful provider and helper, and He cares for people. And look, we see this all through Scripture. In the Old Testament, God miraculously provided bread and meat and water in the wilderness for 40 years to sustain them. First Kings chapter 17 tells us that God fed Elijah in the desert area by making birds drop off His food every morning and every evening. That was the ancient version of Uber Eats or whatever they're doing these days. You know, just—I mean, imagine that. You guys out here—he's at the Brook Sheriff, and every morning he probably developed a relationship with the birds. Fred, good to see you again. Just... God sent a bird every morning, every evening, supplied food for his prophet. In that same chapter, First Kings seventeen, it then tells us how God made the widow's resources keep lasting, and they never ran out. God miraculously kept making a meager amount of resources just stretch and stretch and stretch, and he continued to take care of that widow even as he did his servant Elijah. Let me say as an encouragement to you this morning as well that if you're someone who manages your money biblically and you are a wise, good steward with your resources and you honor God by giving your financial resources unto him in worship, God especially promises in his word that he will meet your need. The Bible tells us in Philippians chapter four, verse 19, and my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. And the context of that promise is in relation to the concern the Philippians may have had because they had given resources financially to the Lord, to the work of the Lord. And Paul said to them, if you're now concerned because you sought to honor the Lord with your resources, oh no. We gave to the Lord. We could have spent the money on this. He, he, my God will supply all of your need according to his glorious riches. In other words, when you manage money God's way, God takes care of things. He does. We see the same principle in regards to giving unto the Lord in Second Corinthians 9.8. There it says, and God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you always having all sufficiency in all things may have abundance for every good work. Listen, let me encourage you this morning. If you're managing your money in a wrong way or foolishly, or you're not being a good steward, or you're resisting from giving and honoring the Lord, I I tell you, be careful of that because don't think that somehow you're going to end up winning in that scenario. God encourages the exact opposite. Be wise, live within your means, stay away from debt, be careful with the lifestyle that you pursue if it's outside of your finances. God says, use your money wisely. The book of Proverbs and all throughout the scripture, lots of great wisdom how to manage money wisely the way God and grandma taught us to do it. (laughs) And then we honor the Lord. And God gives tremendous promises all throughout his word. And I tell you this, I've been a Christian since 1992. I have seen God prove those realities again and again and again and again and again. Again and again. He sufficiently provides. Here he's providing abundantly above and beyond. We're told as the passage concludes that Jesus then, after everyone had eaten, it says, after everyone had eaten, he sent them away. So he dismisses the crowd and immediately gets into the boat with his disciples and they came then over to the region of Dalmanutha, which connects to our section we'll look at next time. But I want you to take notice here. Immediately afterward, rather than create an unrealistic expectation with the crowds that this was going to be about, okay, this is going to be the feeding line now, so keep coming back. We'll keep, Jesus does none of that. He doesn't want to create an unrealistic expectation. He met the need. He ministered to them, but now he dismisses the crowd. Him and his disciples get in a boat, they go to another location, because his primary concern was to go on to the next ministry location, and part of what he was teaching both the multitudes and his disciples that my primary interest is not to meet physical need. It's to address spiritual need in the lives of people. And Jesus wanted them to recognize that the greatest greatest need he wants to meet all over the world is to minister to the souls of people. Because that's what matters. You can feed a hungry belly, it's just going to be hungry four hours later. And Jesus wanted them to recognize this. And look, for us this morning, let's take this application to ourselves to realize, and this is an important thing to always remember sometimes Jesus loves people. Does Jesus want to help people practically? Absolutely. There is nothing wrong with that in God honoring ways. But we also should always remember anybody on the planet can meet physical needs. Unbelievers can feed people. Buddhists and Muslims can feed people. Unbelievers can build structures. Unbelievers can you know, do medical clinics. There's one thing that only Christians can do. Spare people from hell and tell them how to get to heaven. And share Jesus Christ with people and give the truth to people. And so because of that, we always must remember, look, anyone can do physical stuff. We are the only ones who can minister to spiritual needs of people. And so we have to remember that from a priority perspective of how we do ministry and what we focus upon foremost. Look, this morning, whatever your need may be, let me say to you, the Lord's compassionate. He's concerned. He's aware. And you be encouraged because Jesus can meet the need. Let's stand together.